Uh, hey, I, I want to read a, a passage from uh, Colossians chapter 1. Um, uh, we read this in our Bible reading program. If you haven't joined us in that, uh, I'll probably harass you one more week to encourage you to join us in that reading program. And it's on the Version app if you don't have that. One of the greatest things is that many people who are reading it make a comment and to talk it over. So you can read what other people in church, what they read and what they felt God said to them. So again, I'll harass you one more week um, or maybe longer, but here, here's a passage. And it's just good to remind ourselves of who it is we came to worship today. Uh, Colossians 1, verse 15 and following. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy." For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you. And this is how he presents us. This is how God sees us. You may not see yourself this way, but in Christ, this is how God sees you. To present you holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. May God bless the reading of his word. Heavenly Father, we just humbly come into your presence, God, and we, we don't understand it, like how you created all things, <laughs> how you create all things from nothing, how you're before all things, over all things, God, and how you hold all things together. God, how you create the galaxies, you create the planets, the mountains, the stars, the moon, the oceans, the rivers, the streams, the tiniest insect, and the largest stars. You breathe out stars, you can move mountains, you part seas, you slay giants. God, nothing's impossible for you. You're great and you're good. And God, I pray today that we just honor you, God, with our minds and our hearts, that we'll lean into your truth this morning, God. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, right, let's do this. Now, for several weeks, actually since March the 13th, we've been unpacking the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 through 7. It's the longest recorded sermon to Jesus. Some have called it the greatest sermon ever preached, and I cannot argue with that. And we've been saying the last several weeks that this sermon that Jesus gives on the northern slopes of the Sea of Galilee was and still is his radical manifesto about what life in his kingdom is all about. What life in his church is all about because the church is his kingdom. As Paul said in Colossians 1 verse 13, he's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son that he loves. And listen, his kingdom is about being poor in spirit. It's about acknowledging our brokenness, our broken mess, admitting that we're bankrupt before God and that we need God's help. God, please help me with my worry. 
Help me with my doubts. Help me with my marriage. Help me with my fears. Help me with my addiction. God, I can't. But you can. This kingdom is about mourning or loss. Mourning for our sin and, and mourning for this lost, dark, broken, hurting, upside-down world that God so loves. His kingdom is about being meek and keeping our power and strength under control for the good of others and for the glory of God. His kingdom is about stopping all of our pretending, our faking, and spotlight performing, taking off our mask, getting real, cleaning the inside of the cup, aligning both our public self and our private self, and becoming people of integrity. It's about showing mercy. It's about hungering and thirsting to, to be right with God and to live right for God. It's about being a peacemaker, striving to reconcile people to God and to one another as we breathe truth and righteousness into conflict. It's about being persecuted because of the life we live and the Lord we love. It's about being blessed. It's about inheriting the earth, being satisfied, receiving mercy, seeing God, being comforted, experiencing the kingdom of heaven, rejoicing in our great reward, being called a son of God, and being the salt and light of this world. See, that's the life that we're to live, and those are the blessings that we receive. Understand, the earth is decaying, and that's why it needs salt. The world is in darkness, and that is why it needs light. And listen, just as meat cannot pervert, preserve itself, and just as darkness cannot expel darkness, the earth left to itself will rot, corrupt, decay, and darkness left to itself will remain in darkness. Question, would you agree with me that our world, that our society is in pretty bad shape right now? I mean, crime, hatred, racism, anger, violence, immorality, abuse, are everywhere. I think Paul had societies like ours in mind when he wrote to Timothy in his second letter in 2 Timothy chapter 3 when he said this, beginning at verse 2, 2 Timothy 3, 2. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. I mean, like, every day, and I'm being totally serious, every day, I, I, I wonder, can our world get any more messed up than it is right now? Can it get any more dark, any more broken, any more ungodly, any more immoral, any more evil and hate-filled? And every day, it seems like it is. And as John Stott wrote in his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, when society goes bad, we Christians tend to throw up our hands in pious horror and condemn the non-Christian world. But should we not rather condemn ourselves? Next slide. If a house is in dark at night, there's no need, no sense in blaming the house. That's what happens when the sun goes down. The question to ask is, say it with me, where's the light? If meat goes bad, there's no sense in blaming the meat. That's what happens when bacteria is allowed to breed unchecked. The question to ask is, where is the salt? 
If society becomes corrupt like a dark night or stinking fish, there's no sense in blaming society. That's what happens when fallen human society is left to itself and human evil is unrestrained and unchecked. The question to ask is, where is the church? Where is the church? Maple Grove, you are the salt of the earth. And again, that word you in the original text is emphatic. The idea is that you and no one else, you and you alone, are the salt of the earth. And you and you alone are the light of the world. Either we're the salt or there is no salt. Either we're the light or there is no light. Get it? Good. And believe me when I tell you, our God and Savior has put it all in the line, hoping that you and I really do get it. (laughs) Because as the quote I read last week from Bill Hybels in his book, Courageous Leadership, he writes, in a very real way, some would say in a very real way, the future of the world rests in the hands of local congregations like yours and mine. It's the church or it's lights out. Without churches so filled, so filled with the power of God that they can't help but spill goodness and peace and love and joy into the world, depravity will win the day. Evil will flood the world. But it doesn't have to be that way. Strong, growing communities of faith can turn the tide of history. They can. Don't bother looking elsewhere. The church is it. There's nothing like the local church when it's working right. Its beauty is indescribable. Its power is breathtaking. It comforts the grieving and heals the broken in the context of community. It builds bridges to seekers and offers truth to the confused. It provides resources to those in need and opens its arms to the forgotten, the downtrodden, and the disillusioned. It breaks the chains of addiction, frees the oppressed, and offers belonging to the marginalized of the world. Whatever the capacity for human suffering, the church has a greater capacity for healing and wholeness. He concludes, still to this day, the potential, someone say the potential, of the local church is almost more than I can grasp. No other organization on earth is like the church. Nothing comes even close. Amen? And that's where we've been so far in our study of the Sermon on the Mount. The greatest sermon ever preached. Good stuff, important stuff, world-impacting and forever redirecting stuff. And here's what Jesus says next in his radical manifesto about kingdom living. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen, will in any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whatever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I spent a lot of time this week, and actually, I started weeks ago, studying these four verses, diving in, 
really, really deep because this text answers a very important question, and that is, what is the relationship between the Christian and the Old Testament, between the Christian and the law? Like, is the Old Testament binding on Christians? If so, how much is binding? Like, do we have to obey the Old Testament laws and not eat pulled pork and lobster and shrimp and crab? Not getting tattoos, observing the Sabbath, celebrating the feast. I mean, is the Old Testament, is the law even relevant to us New Covenant people? And these are important questions, and scholars and Jesus followers have wrestled with them from the day of Pentecost to this very day. In fact, a very prominent pastor many years, several years ago, actually 19, no, 2018, I'm so far from the 19s, I'm so old, 19 seems close, but it really isn't. Raise your hand if you weren't, if you were, if you were born in the 2000s. In the 2000s. Yeah, okay. All right. Gosh. Anyhow. And here, here's what he said in the sermon. He said, the Christian faith must be unhitched from the Old Testament. And he claimed, and I quote, Peter, James, and John elected to unhitch the Christian faith from the Jewish scriptures. And my friends, we must as well do so. Again, understanding the relationship between the Old Testament law is important. And the good news is, Jesus gives us an answer in Matthew 5, 17 through 20. An answer that if we're willing to, you know, to dive in deep, we can actually understand. And so again, I, I spent a lot of time wrestling with these four verses. It's amazing to me. I've been a Christian for a long time, and and it's still so much I don't know. Like, wow, do I really understand this? I want to understand this. Because if I don't understand it, how can I teach other people to understanding? So I'm wrestling. I was wrestling Saturday morning. And my head was exploding with information. I mean, just like it was, it was everywhere, it, oozing out. And I said, okay, Saturday I came in, 11 o'clock. I came in this room and, and lights were off. I took my shoes off, you know, because I came in to worship, right? So like shoes off, I'm holy ground. And I... And, and I was trying to, God, you know, help me figure out what I'm supposed to say. And, and I laid down right there by this big rock. Brief sidebar. Last week after church, one of the Grove kids came up to me and said, why do you have this huge rock sitting on the floor? And I said, that's a great question. One that I've not been asked in years. And so why is this huge rock up here? I understand it's been here since October of 2010, and it weighs over 650 pounds. It took four guys and a cart that was destroyed to get it in here, so it, it's not leaving anytime soon. All right, it's not leaving anytime soon. And, and it was brought in here on the day that I, I preached a message about Jesus being the cornerstone of the church. I was teaching on 1 Peter chapter 2. Jesus is telling the church, hey, you know what? You guys are living stones that are being built into a spiritual house, and together you'll be able to offer sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then he says this, for in Scripture it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. You see, in ancient buildings, cornerstones were sometimes seven Seven feet by 14 feet, and they were the first stones laid. 
Like today, they're kind of late, but just as a ceremonial thing, right? Okay, we built our building. Let's stick this in, right? Back then, a cornerstone was part of the foundation, and a cornerstone determined the direction and the angles of a building. Like everything rested on and depended on the cornerstone. Well, in October of 2010, we declared that Jesus is our cornerstone. And therefore, he determines the directions and angles of our life and of our church. Everything must rest on Jesus, I said back then and today as well. How we spend our time and how we spend our money, what we give to and what we live for rests on Jesus. What we do or what we don't do rests on Jesus, where we go and where we don't go. How we treat those who hurt us, our view of sex, our view of sexuality, the kind of students or employees we are, how we treat our spouse, how we treat our kids, how we treat our parents, how we treat our friends, how we treat our enemies, it all rests on Jesus. You see, as a Jesus follower, whether or not we turn the other cheek, Go the second mile, give up our spare coat, live without anger, forgive those who hurt us, put the needs of others before our own, pray for those who persecute us, fight to save your marriage, serve with reckless abandon, give your time and money to his church, see the beauty and potential of even the worst of sinners, no longer rest on us. Instead, it rests on Jesus, our cornerstone. And that's why that sucker was dragged in here almost 12 years ago. Sidebar over. But I'm glad the guy asked me the question. So anyhow, Saturday I'm laying on the floor worshiping, praying, singing. I asked God, God, I need to put these thoughts together. And I'm also thinking, God, help us to really get that we're the salt of the earth and, and that we're the light of the world. And after about 20 to 30 minutes, I felt God telling me, hey, Steve. Now, he didn't talk to me. It'd be cool if he did. I'd probably freak out, but... I felt him say, hey, Steve, I know that Matthew 17 through 20 is really important. I inspired it. <laughs> and yes, I know you spent a lot of time working on it. But I want you to hit pause. And camp out a little bit longer with my people and the truth that they're the light of the world and the soul of the earth. To be honest, I kind of pushed back a little bit, right? I'm like, God, I already told everybody what I'm talking on. I already make my kid sheet with the word search and a picture of Moses coming down the mountain. <laughs> and, and I kind of talked about this last week, and it kind of seems like I'm being lazy or cheating to talk about it again. <laughs> but then I realized, you know, sometimes it, you know, Sundays can be like this. You know, you come in here, and I open up a fire hose. <laughs> this is important stuff. Next week, new fire hose. <laughs> important stuff, right? And we, we hear something, move on, move on, and move on. That's why it's always good when life groups talk about the sermons because we can apply what we heard. But anyhow, I, I listened. God won. Brothers and sisters, we and we alone are the soul of the earth. And we and we alone are the light of the world. And if we are not the light of the world, our world will remain in darkness. God is not blaming the world. He's blaming us. If we're not the salt of the earth, the world will continue to corrupt right into decay. It just will, and it just is. You know, a few weeks back on a Monday morning, I drove to Bealton to pick up half a cow. <laughs> a quarter for me, and a quarter for a friend, Walter Owens. And that was on a Monday. On the Friday before, my car, you know, I, I drive a beautiful 
dog-infested German shepherd shedding, you know, uh, uh, 2007 Honda Santa Fe. And, and it started acting up. On Friday, I was downtown driving around, and, and I came home that Friday night and turned my car off and went the head out like 15 minutes later. It wouldn't start. And like my windows went up fast. Lights came on. I go, it's not my battery. What's going on? I go, great. Well, but I don't have a car payment, so it's okay. And two hours later, it started. I go, okay. All that weekend, I drove. It started. So Monday, heading up to Bealton to pick up $1,000 worth of beef. Great beef, by the way. And, and I get there. My car's running the whole time. I load Walters in mine, in the car. Great. It's about noon. Coming down. Back, about to make a left. Hey, there's a Popeye's. I love their chicken sandwich. Actually, no diss on Chick-fil-A, but I think it's the best chicken sandwich out there. That's funny. I know, I know, I know, I know. Oh, no! No! Curses! Okay. I, I know, I, uh, I can say I don't believe in Jesus. That, I may get away with it, but I don't believe in Chick-fil-A. Sandwiches are the best. That's, I crossed a line. Okay. Uh, but anyhow, I go, you know what? It's noon. Let me get a sandwich. I go, uh, you know, there's like two cars in the drive-thru. I'm going to go in. It'll be quicker. Come out to my car. Uh-oh. <laughs> it's not starting. Not good. AAA, hey, come help me out. Oh, yeah, we can be there maybe. And I'm like, and I have 1,000 pounds of meat. 500 belongs to a friend, and I accept the responsibility for it, right? So, I, hey, Walter, you know, uh, they say they'll be here in an hour. I don't know they'll get here, but, you know, I don't know if you can make it in time, but I'm just giving you the heads up. And so I cross the highway, and I find a family dollar. <laughs> And I go, I got to get some coolers here, right? Because it's the meat. Like, if it, if it goes rotten, it's on me. And I, so I go, like, cooler. And this is like 35 bucks. I go, are you kidding me, man? 35 bucks? But I got to get it, right? I got to get it. So I get it. And I say, do you have any of those cheap ones? <laughs> well, some in the back. And so I was able to find a few cheap ones, right? Yeah, because I'm like, I'm desperate, right? I'm desperate. If I don't do something and do it fast, I could lose all that meat. And so I get a load in the coolers. Tow truck says, hey, we're going to be an hour later. I go, oh, this is great. Hey, Walter, you may want to head up. And then 15 minutes later, I said, what the heck? Hey! It started. And, and Walter, hey, I'm, I'll be there. I'll meet you at the Lowe's in Ruckersville. And it was a starter. It would heat up and, and then not work for a while. But anyhow. I was really concerned, desperate, because I had a responsibility, right? Because Walter trusted me to get that quarter cow, you know, and, and if I lost his quarter cow, he may not be happy with me, especially since I said Popeyes are great, right? So it could be all over. <laughs> God has entrusted us with the world, and it's rotten decaying around us. And we see the rot and decay. And I don't know about you, I, I don't act that desperately for the world. What a shame, right? I mean, I'm walking across the highway. I'm spending $35. I don't need another cooler. I got three at home. I'm thinking, I'm going to spend 50, 60 bucks for coolers I don't need? $1,000 in meat? Okay, yeah, that's a win. The meat cannot preserve itself and the world cannot preserve itself. 
See, we need to have the same mindset and the same desperation. I mean, we're good, aren't we? We're good at pointing out how bad the world is. Oh my goodness, look how bad it is. I wish we had someone else in D.C. or the White House or in Richmond or whatever. It's terrible. Look what they're doing in the schools. It's all terrible. Well, I'm not disagreeing. But what are we doing? I got to thinking about our world, and it, it is like this in Isaiah 520. Woe to those who call it evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter, right? But what do we do? Oh, throw our hands up. I'm disgusted by this world. They're disgusting. Are we to put our heads in the sand and ignore it? Are, are we to build a a moat around our church and turn this into a real sanctuary where we can hide out and come in here and hang out on Sundays and say, we're glad we're going to heaven. While the world is going to hell in a handbasket, I looked that up, by the way. Like, where did that originate from? One of the ideas is that <clears throat> after someone met the guillotine, their head was carried away in the basket. And I don't know if that's true or not. That's one of the answers I found. I didn't mean to give you that image today. Uh, forgive me for that. <laughs> okay. But what are we to do? Just start being who we are. Salt. Remember, being salt is about the life that we live. It's about living out our faith as consistently as we can. It's, it's about developing more and more the fruit of the Spirit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Start with me on love. We're going to go straight through. One, two, three. Love. Okay, we're that. I mean, we're recording this. People all over the world could hear us right now. I say, was there no one in church with Steve? Was he talking to himself again? All right. All right. Here we go. Ready? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Do you think if we consistently live those out more and more? And no, it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not like, you know, I don't like apples, they're good. No, it's the fruit, right? It's not one fruit. It's not nine fruits. It's one fruit with these nine different tastes. I think it'd have an impact, don't you? If you lived this out more in your home, would it make a difference? More with your mom, with your dad, with your marriage, more at work. More where you go to school. Here's a picture. I want to ask you which one you are more like. This is a thermostat, and this is a thermometer. Now, when I was a kid, a thermometer, it was those little mercury suckers, right? Your mom would shake it down, doom, 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 right? And stick it on your tongue. And all the time, she's thinking somewhere else. If she wanted to get a more accurate reading, I won't tell you where that is. You can go look it up and Google it. It, it wasn't very pleasant, I'll tell you that much. And, and, uh, and see, they're different. A temperature, a thermometer measures temperature, right? A thermostat does what? It sets the temperature, right? It sets the temperature. Yesterday morning, I was at McDonald's with Steve Bailey and Jeff Kavanagh, and we met a thermostat at McDonald's, go figure. I'm not sure the guy's name, he's a manager there, and the guy had just the pleasantest attitude, and Steve had seen him before, and, and, and Steve asked him, you know, how are you able to maintain such a positive and joyful attitude? The guy says, my kids. 
It was noticeable. It changed the whole atmosphere in there. And if his kids could do that for him, do you think Jesus could do that for us? See, the earth is rotten to Cain. It needs salt. Now, uh, during this audible that God gave me for this week, you know, an, another verse popped into my mind and, and uh, from Isaiah 6, 8. It's when Isaiah is being called by God that heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and whom will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. And, and listen, many places, God doesn't have to send us. You know why? We are already there. You're already there where you work. You're already there where you go to school. You're already there where you, go to, where you shop, right? You're already there. Just show them how life can be lived. See, 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 what God wants to do is take your life and mine with his help because we're messed up. I'm so messed up, you know, you know. But he wants to take your life and mine and put it on display. Say, hey, that's how life can be lived. That's how a marriage can look. That's how a family can look. That's how people can help each other out. That's how people can care about one another, right? And the world's going to be like, it's kind of like when you, like, especially me, I look at a magazine, you see some guy in perfect shape. You're like, I didn't know a body could look like that, right? How did that happen, right? Well, God wants me to look at us and say, I didn't know a life could be lived like that. I didn't know that you could have joy even though you're going through difficult times. I didn't know you could have peace even in the midst of conflict. See, that's what it means to be salt. It means just to go out and live our lives as best we can, not perfectly, but as best we can with God's help. And we'll be noticed. The guy McDonald, you cannot miss this guy. McDonald's! And, and that McDonald's is rough sometimes, right? It's not always, a, everybody that walked in, good to see you, how you doing? It's like, he made me feel happy. <laughs> you know, I, he just changed it, you know, and that's what God wants us to do. You see, we're not responsible for conversion, but we are responsible for contact, right? We're responsible for contact to make a, to make a difference. And Jesus talked about our salt becoming unsalty. Well, salt can't really become unsalty because it's a pretty stable element, but what can happen, like it did with the salt that dried up around the Dead Sea that would pick up, You'd have salt, but you have some dust and sand and gypsum would get mixed in with it. So it kind of lost its saltiness, and it wasn't really good for anything. It was contaminated. And see, when we're contaminated and we're more like the world <laughs> than like love, joy, peace, and kindness, then we're not very salty, right? I love how the message paraphrase worded this right here. If you lose your saltiness, how... Will people taste godliness? Do we have that slide? By any chance? Maybe not. Maybe not. Okay. If you lose your saltiness, there it is. Like, if you're not going to be salty out in the world, how are they going to know what godliness looks like? There's just not. Does that make sense? Like, like, God is counting on us. And again, desperation. Because I know if I don't do something quick, it'll just keep decaying and rotten. 
See, God wants to live a life in such a way that, it, that people notice the difference. And we all can do better. I know I can do better. Can you do better? We all can do better, right? And that's what, it's about progress, not perfection. We can do better, right? We can be a little better at it than we were in the past, right? Lord God, help us to be better salt in this world. Help these words not just beat against our eardrums and help me not to just say them and people just not to nod our heads, but help us to have a desperation to live our lives out in the world that represents you. Amen. And we're also to be the light of the world. And I shared how the light of the world, being that it's about the truth that we share and it's about the Savior that we point to. Yes, being a salty Christian is noticeable. Like the guy at McDonald's. He was noticeable. He changed the way people were feeling. And it prompted us to ask him why he was the way he was. And like matter, we need to share why we are different. And listen, unsalty sharing is not only not productive, it's harmful to the church, right? When, when people who do not look like Jesus, act like Jesus, share Jesus, it does more harm to the cause of Christ than it does help, right? Like if, if you're a Christian in this room, but you don't act like a Christian at work, maybe you shouldn't tell people you're a Christian at work. <laughs> Keep it a secret. Because what you're showing people is not what Jesus looks like. And they're going to think that's what church is. Really? That guy's a Christian? He gossips like everybody else. Doesn't show up on time like everybody else. Well, I guess that's what a Christian is. I guess that's what that church is all about, right? And that's not what God asked us to do. And, and, and so we live the life, and then, but we, if we're just salty, they don't know why we're the way we are. We got to have the opportunity to share the truth with them. And what truth do we share? Here's just a few things that God loves them, <laughs> that God gave his son to die for them, that yes, they are sinners, and yes, the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is salvation in Christ Jesus, that God is not against them, but God is for them, that God wants to call them home, that God wants them, as messed up as they are, to be his sons and daughters, that Satan is a liar, that God is the truth, that they're created by God and for God with a plan and purpose, that they're God's masterpiece, that God wants to heal their hurt, carry their burdens, wipe away their tears, and give them life. Tell them that, you know what, your hope can be living and your, your joy can be unspeakable. Tell them that, yes, there's a road that leads to death, but there's also a road that leads to life, and that road is Jesus. And in Jesus, you have hope and peace and grace and joy and life. Be sure of that truth and and who is the Savior that we point to? Is it some pale, blue-eyed, blonde hair, halo-wearing Jesus that you see? Yeah. Growing up as a non-Christian, I, that Jesus did not appeal to me, right? Jesus did not have blonde hair and blue eyes and a halo over his head, right? He had calluses on his hands and dirt under his fingernails, right? And, and, and his skin was probably brown from all, being out in the sun all day. We point to the one who loved them enough to die for them. We point to the one who touches lepers, who touches the outcasts, who eats with sinners, who frees the captives. We point to the one who brings healing to the broken. 
We point to the one who carries our pain, who bears our sickness, who removes our shame, who heals our wounds, who who pays our debt. We point to Jesus, the one whose love is unfailing, the one whose grace is sufficient, the one whose mercy is unending. You see, if if our light is, is not pointing to the hope, love, and grace, and truth that are in Jesus, it's not the light he intends. Now, the world won't always like it, right? Jesus already told us that. The verdict is in. Light has come into the world, and people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light. When I come into the light for fear, their deeds will be exposed. Yes, some will hate and reject the light, but others will receive it and surrender to it and have their lives and eternities changed by it. The earth, the people... are rotten, decaying, and they need salt. Our world is in darkness, and it seems to be getting darker every day, and it needs light. And you, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You and you alone. You and you alone. And and the life that you live, and the truth that you share, and the savior that you point to, can impede, hinder, inhibit, retard, counter, hamper, block, thwart, obstruct, put an end to decay into corruption, and redirect the forevers of lost people. And again, it's so important for us to understand. That's why we're here. The only reason Jesus and I save you and then take you right to heaven is because there's still people that need to hear about him. And there's opportunities all around you. My goodness, in our a life group that a couple, you know, people were just sharing how God used them this past week, you know, in groups that they were meeting with, you know, and, and, and Roger going to a, a store to have his boots stretched on, on pantops and opportunity right there that God used. God orchestrated it and he had opportunity to be salt. The world needs us. And a lot of the salt and light is seen has just not been, it's not Jesus, it's not it's not been the church. It's not been what he's all about. And, and as we wrap up, just remember that the you, and you are the light of the world, so there, it's plural. It's plural. Like I said last week, it's y'all, or you guys, if you're up north. Y'all are you guys, right? It's plural. See, it, we are the salt and light, not individually, but collectively. And, and we're going to do communion in just a moment. And, and, you know, I had these envelopes last week. They're here this week. And in, in here are some challenges. It's, I call it the Summer 2022 City, City on the Hill Challenge. Inside this envelope are seven challenges that you can take that will, will help you grow in your walk with God and help us become more the church he wants us to be. Help you, your salt to be saltier and your light to be brighter. Right in here. And I ask people to pray over it. And not to open it up. You can take it home and throw it away. I sent out emails with this on it. You don't have to open up the attachment. But we'll ask you, if you do open it up, you're saying, God, I'm going to do some or all these challenges. And not just the ones I'm already doing, because that doesn't count. <laughs> you know? I don't know about you, I make a to-do list, and I put things I've already done so I can check it off. Anybody do that, or is it just me? It makes me feel good. I, I just did those things, four things, but I'm going to write them anyhow, just because it feels good. Yeah. Okay. But 
Yeah, okay. There's two of us out there. Way to go, Trent. You're with me, brother. Uh, but the thing is, just open it up and say, you know, but pray with God, you know, and guaranteed to make a difference in your life and the, and the life and the world around you. And I've been in the church since 1979. Uh, I've been in ministry since 1991. Uh, And what I found is that it's hard for the church to be the church that Jesus wants her to be. It's easy just to come and show up, walk out with nothing changed. But it's hard to have the word impact us. It's hard to make sacrifices and hear the word and not just be convicted, but be changed by it. You know, it's just hard. I, I got to be honest with you. It's hard to be the church. Because Satan's okay if we fill this room if we're not salt out there, right? He's okay. He's okay if, our, you know, if the salt stays in the salt shaker, right? Morton salt. When it rains, it pours. They made that saying up. You know why they make that up? Side note. I like looking up useless information, right? It, well, see, before 1911, like, you'd have salt, and you're trying to cook, and humidity would make a lump together. You have to chisel it, and, and people are getting frustrated and throwing dishes across the thing, yelling at their kids, whatever. And, and Morton decided they're going to put magnesium carbonate in here so that it wouldn't stick together. And their advertising campaign was, what, how are we going to advertise it? And they came up, well, let's put this girl carrying an umbrella. And it's raining. And as it's raining, the salt is pouring out. So that even when it's raining outside and humid, our salt will not stick together. It will pour. And analogy just popped in my mind. You know, we kind of come in here clumped together, don't we? And that's Okay. But when we leave this place, we need to separate and be the salt that this world needs and to make a difference in this world. Amen? But it's not easy. And it won't happen unless Jesus is our cornerstone, right? What we do or don't do, how we live or how we don't live, all rest on Jesus. And the good news, every day is another chance. And did you ever just, uh, think about people you know that don't need Jesus, that haven't surrendered to him? Did you ever, like, allow yourself? I did that in here on, on Saturday. And thinking about what awaits them, it's, it's horrible. It's horrible. And God loves them, has a plan for them. God wants them. And, and like, yeah, yeah, my salvation is secure, but man, how, how can I like be around people and say I love them knowing that what the future awaits them, you know? And and this is not to bum anybody out, but how awesome to think, you know, like Walter trusted me. 
with $500 of really good beef, right? And God has trusted us, right? And Walter counted me trustworthy. Oh, my goodness, Walter. You know, I must have made a mistake there, buddy. But God has trusted you. He said, I trust you. And when you go to work and you go home, you go in your neighborhood, I trust you that you're going to be salt. I'm not going to have you be salt. And you're going to fall sometimes. You're going to mess up, but that's okay. You're going to get back up and do a little bit better. But I'm going to trust you to make a difference in the lives of broken and hurting people. Amen? Father God, we love you. And Lord, give me the kind of desperation you gave me to save $1,000 worth of meat for lost people who are dying. Uh, it's, it's shameful, Lord, that, that I don't have that. I don't always want to think about it. But God, the world needs us, and you need us. God, we are your plan A. There is no plan B. And Holy Spirit, I just pray that you move among us. God, I, I pray that each of us would take on whatever challenge is in that envelope for us. Everything in there is biblical. I didn't make anything up. God, help us become the church that you want us to be. God, open our eyes this week to the opportunities everywhere. Do not allow the enemy to beat us up because maybe we've not been as salty or as bright of a light as we should be. It does not matter, God. What matters is today. What matters is tomorrow. What matters is what's ahead. What matters is moving forward. God, protect us from the evil one who's terrified of a church really wanting to be your church. And God, as we sing this song, I pray that we really are available to you to use in this world. Help us to not just be thermometers who condemn the world, but be thermostats who change the temperature in the world. In Jesus' name, amen.